man, here we are. Uh, this is the main show, episode one for season one. I'm going to start this over. Adam, we just watched season one, episode one of The Wheel of Time. It is finally here. We've got to see it. And holy shit, we've been waiting for this for 25 years. I got to say, no matter what opinions are about to come out of my mouth about mm -hmm. how I felt, the fact that I just got to watch live action Wheel of Time is a miracle in and of itself that it finally got made after so long. So no matter what I say from now until the end of the series, <laughs> I just want everyone to know that I appreciate this show has been made. I understand how difficult it is to make literally anything in a TV show is one of the most difficult things you can make. So we just watched live action Wheel of Time. Absolutely. Holy shit. I can't believe this day is here. That's awesome. This is still cold open area. So uh, I've got thoughts on what we just saw. I'm sure you do too. Let's get into Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Okay. Let's do it. Welcome to the Wheel of Time show about the Wheel of Time show. This is the podcast that uh, reacts to the Amazon series that just dropped technically today with the timeline. Uh, Adam and I are coming from uh, Las Vegas, Nevada and Valparaiso, Indiana, which are both in the United States. We realize this is dropping on Grand Meridian time, which is based, you know, that's zero time everywhere. So for all our European listeners, uh, which apparently there are a lot, welcome. Yeah. Uh, hello. Pretty, pretty excited to have you here. I was very shocked when I was looking at the analytics to see that you were hanging out and uh, joining us for this. But I didn't even realize, like, we were Googling, like, hey, when does the show drop? Mm -hmm. And I figured 12.01 a.m., probably Eastern time or Pacific time. And I checked, and Amazon likes to drop a lot of shows mm -hmm. Greenwich Mean Time. Yeah. And so I was like, what? That's 4 p.m. my time. I get it, like, eight hours earlier than I thought. So it was, like, the, the best surprise I could ever have hoped for on a Thursday. Absolutely. You and I coordinated schedules that we are going to be watching them and recording them on Friday. We saw this and we scrambled. We just said, fuck it. We're going to go ahead and just do this Thursday night, which was the biggest treat that I've had. That's that's a, such a surprise. And uh, I'm glad that we get to do that. The long story short, though, is uh, this is the third episode in our main show feed. Episode 0 and 0 0.5 are Adam and I introducing ourselves. If you're interested, check them out. It's fun. We talk about our relationship to the source material, which is Robert Jordan's book series. I talk about my work, and Adam talks about his work. We really kind of go into our hopes and dreams for the series, mm -hmm. too. And I think it's actually going to be very relevant to what we're going to talk about today. Uh, because like I said in the older episodes, uh, I'm uh, uh, cautiously pessimistic is the way that I put it, uh, based off of some of the stuff that I had previously seen, which absolutely ties into what we just watched, you know, and uh, I definitely had some predictions of things that I hope to see and some predictions of hopes that uh, some predictions of things that I absolutely hoped I wouldn't see, which I did. Uh, so <laughs> it's definitely relevant. If you want to listen to those episodes, I highly encourage it. But if you're just here to hear the reactions, that's what this is. Sure. Again, episode one. So we have a, a loose idea for the format, but we're going to just kind of push it forward. We're not going to be spoilery on the source material for the Wheel of Time series. If you are listening to this, though, we are going to be spoilery on the episode that we are talking about and anything that has come prior to it. So Correct. what that yes. means is if you're if you're hearing this and you haven't watched it yet, you got to stop. It. Yeah, go watch it. Um, Unless you get to the point 
which I got to in the show Heroes, where I could barely stand to watch it anymore, but I would read the reviews the day after it came out because they were so fucking funny <laughs> to, to read these people rip that show apart. Uh, if that ever winds up happening, hey, I fully support you if you sure. just want to listen to our show. Sure, sure, sure. Heroes season one is, I used to push that so hard as being one of the best series of television. I like Still to this day, I think I mean, it's been years since I've seen it, but I remember it being so good. It was awesome. Season two started okay. Then there was the infamous writer strike that really made it go downhill. Season three and four are the fucking worst pieces of shit I've (laughs) ever seen on TV. Season four, I'm just like, what is happening? I can't not finish it. I've come this far. And then when it was over, I was like, I probably could have not watched that. And it was, there's a very infamous episode where the showrunner from the first season came back and he killed off like two characters and was so meta talking about how the motivations for some characters were so loose and dumb. It was the best thing that I'd ever seen. And, uh, after watching Wheel of Time episode one, I was hoping that Robert Jordan would rise from his grave so he Whoa. could direct one of these episodes. <laughs> oh, and then what I want to say, too, is if you are interested in doing a watch along with Adam, myself and our friend Faye, we have uh, we could call it like a react tracks because yeah. it's us watching it live. It's very Mystery Science Theater 3000. Mm-hmm. We will talk over certain parts of the episode, but it is the first time that we watched it, too. So we try and stay silent for like the pivotal poignant moments and all the times uh, that Rand opens his mouth because you can't fucking hear him. <laughs> he talks like this. I know. The entire Gosh, episode. he talks like there's a little angel mm. sleeping on the tip of his tongue. If you want to hear that, though, it's actually Patreon material, which we will uh, have links to that in the show notes. And Adam will say this near the end of the episode. Okay, Adam, where are we going for our ambience? Um, I liked the um, supposed to be the village green, although right, yeah, you can tell it's just let's go there. There was some dancing during this episode. I'm not putting that in there. Okay, it's not Beltine. It's going to be just like uh, it's going to sound more like a marketplace, which it is. And here we go. All right, we're here. Nice. <sighs> yeah, uh, we'll see. This stuff's so easy to fucking make because huh. I know where to pull sound effects from. All right, so let's talk about the Wheel of Time show that we just watched, episode one, season one. I have to say, I had high hopes for this episode, even though I tried to keep my expectations low. And this one's very important. You can you have one chance at a first impression. Let's let's sort of break down what we watched and how we feel. So episode one of any series is incredibly important. Uh, we are fans of the book series. There's people who are watching this. It's their first exposure to Wheel of Time. You only get one chance at a first impression. You better make it good. And I will say this episode launches right off and we're seeing some information about land and moraine. It's not what you would expect if you were thinking that this was going to follow the books to a T. So immediately you're kind of just like, okay, it's going to be adapted differently. That's fine. And I got to say the first original scene that we get here is a man running from a group of women in red clothing that are clearly representative of the red Aja, however you're supposed to say it. We haven't gotten to that yet. And uh, he's being hunted. So immediately we're talking about, we're like, oh, this must be a male channeler. He's talking to someone who's trying to encourage him to fight. These two guys are running. uh, And then the red states, there's no one else here. And you see it's like this Tyler Durden thing where it's like he is by himself. I was like, that is such a great fucking way to show folks that it, men that use this power go mad. And I was very impressed with it. I was like, okay, maybe we're in for like a series of like things that are gonna change, but for the better. Mm-hmm. And not really, but hey, let's <laughs> let's just keep going. Okay, so after that, it kind of gets more to what we were expecting, which is they're gonna show Eamon's Field, because that's where Lana and Moraine are going. 
And, uh, you know, the next thing you know, we're introducing characters. They're all hanging out. We skipped over this big portion where, you know, there's some dialogue where they're walking along a road. Right. Um, to to take it one step back, though, we do have, uh, the, we get the information right off the bat in Moraine's uh, soliloquy, monologue, internal monologue, whatever it's supposed to be. We hear that she is essential, or she refers to the dragon having being reborn and... This is the first time that we have heard that it's either a uh, male or a female. It could be a female. I thought that was interesting, too. I really enjoyed that touch, actually, because Adam and I have discussed this before, too. Like, what of a weird twist would it be if it happened to be a female? Not in this show, but, like, if it any of the ages that spins another one out what if that is a possibility which like, like is the female half of the source going to be tainted because like everything has to happen cyclically or how yeah. would it like like That's shake out it was really interesting to think about and yeah these are the things that wheel of time nerds talk about so hearing mm-hmm. that dialogue was was definitely interesting but we do get right off the bat uh, moraine's motivation is that she is searching for the dragon who is uh, you know without them saying that she is searching for a channeler, so uh, either a male or female person who can wield the power. And as she sees the Red Aja take over uh, this uh, one individual who you find out is just one individual and not the two, she's like, this isn't him. We need to go to the two rivers. And therefore... It's like, it can't be him because he's been taken care of. He's been dealt with. One of the things she says in that scene, too, that was eyebrow-raising is that there's four Tavaren rumored to be in this Eamon's Field in the two rivers. And for me, it's like... If it's rumored that there's four people that so strongly pull the pattern that it's noticeable, like why, who's, whose rumors are these? Where did you get this information from <laughs> yeah. in this backwater town? Also four instead of three. Yep. Interesting. We're going to see where they're going to go with that. Um, and it's just uh, the first in a series of very odd decisions and very odd choices made to uh, it's like everything has to be supercharged mm-hmm. in this initial episode that starts to deviate pretty far from the things that I was expecting. So we also see the women's circle here. That's just part of the Two Rivers custom. This didn't occur to me until afterwards. Why the fuck did Nine Eve push Egwene into the river? There's no point of that. It, it's basically like they're trying to have this heavy-handed symbolism that will make sense later by adding in this ritual that, you know, didn't exist in the books that doesn't make a whole lot of sense like they talked about them having braids in the books and how it's just a sign that's like they're sort of old enough to begin courting and and finding a partner but it's just like this brand new thing that makes zero fucking sense everyone seemed to be expecting her to be shoved into the river which seems to be like a terrible idea uh, but apparently we're just supposed to go along with it yeah what bums me out is it was just like hey um be careful let the river do its job because you might get hurt and then boom they shove her in there so it's like boom Wait, why? You, you want her a part of your circle. This isn't like a trial by fire thing. Then we just kind of really get to see Eamon's Field. We get to see Bran Alvere's, uh tavern with all of the people in the town in there. Um, Moraine and Lan enter. Adam has already had uh, thoughts about that, which is in episode 0.5. Well, we're skipping over one of the most important things in the dialogue leading up to these people just hanging out. I, also, I thought they got the ambiance right. I think the set looks very good. But in just general dialogue, Matt shows up. Matt's apparently a degenerate gambler, not a fun-loving prankster like he was in the book, which is which, which is just way more relatable and a fun character to be around. He's almost depressing. It's it's really hard to sort of watch him. But he says to Perrin, you're married. And so we all were just like, record scratch. What the fuck yeah. do you mean Perrin is married? This is just such a far departure. Like, he's not even old enough, really, to be considering marriage at the beginning of the series. They've aged everyone up, and apparently they thought they also had to give him a wife, which was just sort of mind-blowing to me. 
And then, like Garrett said, after some just general dialogue, it's nighttime. They're still in the tavern. And then Lan and Moraine arrive. Mm-hmm. So we get introduced to these two characters, which is fine. They come into town. They're the talk of the town. Let's put it that way. Because they've, Yeah, but definitely been set on edge because they don't mm-hmm. come in with pseudonyms. They come in and announce themselves as Lan and Moraine Sedai. Right. And it's uh, jarring because like it's just been sort of like the way they handle things throughout the series. I mentioned this on a previous episode. They use pseudonyms to not gather or gain attention. And in this, they're just very heavy handed, like we're fucking here. Deal with it. I just think there's not a lot of space for subtlety in an episode that feels very rushed. So it's like, just give uh, their real names and then we'll just get people moving forward. The pacing is something I I have thoughts on that uh, because this was fucking breakneck speed, but we will get to that in a little bit. As we know, Moraine is trying to search out which of these Tavaren are the dragon or whoever she suspects. And then, you know, we're getting little slices of life of everybody's life here, which, yeah, Adam, Adam <laughs> and mentioned. Then, uh, and then it's bath time. Yeah. Lana <laughs> and Moraine take a bath together, which is weird. <laughs> and I was just put off by that, too. It's not yeah. the nature of their relationship, literally at any point in uh, the series but hey maybe they're just going with it so okay cool it's like you know taking a soak with your friend or sauna or something like that so i'm just trying to like be okay and then all of a sudden it's the next day mm-hmm. and we're getting more slices of life like garrett's talking about we're getting more insight into these folks and i have one particular scene that stood out to me and that's when moraine goes to talk to Nynaeve or Nynaeve, or however they're saying it in the show yeah um in this weird cave spring they have completely changed her backstory as well she's no longer from the two rivers she was brought in there she was raised as an orphan her parents passed away and her birth even though her age does not match up to the age of the boys she's suddenly in the range where the dragon reborn would have been reborn which makes no sense they're completely different ages i felt like moraine was actually disqualifying her for being too old I think that's what that was happening there when she was like, so you're 25, 26. I'm looking for a 20 year old. It's not you. I thought I thought that's what was happening there. But yeah, I be- think I think that's what the intention of it was. I think it's just for someone like if we're talking about we're making these changes so that we can make things more palatable to the viewer. It's making it so it seems like she's being included because she's being questioned mm-hmm. rather than like for people who know better, like you're questioning a character that has nothing to do with that. And you're adding in this extra backstory, changing this backstory. It's like, make it more compelling for a total of 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it seems like a very odd choice that was completely unnecessary. And then really fast forwarding, which is coming to the end of the episode here. The Belltime Festival happens. We have, I love the imagery here of the lanterns that they were using. It felt a lot like the Lantern Festival, where it's supposed to be a joyous occasion. And uh, in the dialogue, they're like, we light these lanterns for those we have loved and lost so they can find their way home to us. And I'm like, that's a great sentiment. It was very somber, which we talked about in the the watch along. And then right after that, the celebration happens. Shit pops off. And shit pops off. No Tom Marilyn. So Mm, a very interesting character. That's a a fan favorite of mine. I was like, oh, yes, here comes the band. We're about to meet this dude. (laughs) And then it's like, oh, he's not here. Oh, oh, okay. Dang. Oh, well, that sucks. Yeah, I think a big complaint of the book series itself is that there are so many characters, and I think that we probably are at the cap of of what a newcomer to the uh, material right now could possibly take in. They'll take in Tom Marilyn. It's like an- annoying to me, too, because they spend so much time on these side characters that you will never see again mm-hmm. from Eamon's Field, where it's like, we got some speaking lines for Daisy Conger. She gets <laughs> some screen time. Okay, cool. That exact same shit could have happened where it's like, oh, we brought in the Gleeman, mm-hmm. you know? We could have just taken some stuff from the source material, introduced us to this one character, and then you don't really meet him too much. You just know that he might be the kind of character who's like, I'm going to get the fuck out of here once stuff goes down. 
Everything pops off. We have a Trolloc battle. We see people really get slaughtered. And uh, an eight-foot Trolloc somehow sneaks into a dancing circle to run someone through <laughs> with a giant spear. I was like, oh, he got hit with an arrow. And then it shows it's a giant fucking battle axe. And I was like, no one dancing saw this fucking thing sneak in. <laughs> like, how is that possible? Um, a lot of people are hurt and things don't look well. And then that's where we have enter Moraine, enter Lan, and they turn the tide of battle as um, as is like and she she goes off. She fucks yeah. shit up. I thought it was very cool that we finally get to see something that happened off page in the books, which was the attack on Amon's Field. That first Trolloc, we we're like, God damn, that actually looks pretty good. There mm -hmm. were certain parts where they like went full blown CGI where I didn't think it looked as good as the practical effects, and I do think they've gotten the Trollocs right. I think they kind of nailed my headcanon for it. Um, there are certain things about this battle where uh, they actually make reference in dialogue that they think that there's a Fade nearby. Like, mm -hmm. they can't sense that there's a Fade, which for mm -hmm. me was, like, kind of jarring because that's just something that Warders and Ace I can do. And it's, like, super important in other parts of the book as well to know whether or not there's something evil around. So that's a change that's being made, too, and it just sort of makes them, like, completely unaware uh, when this battle is going to happen, so they show up a little bit later. The battle's fucking brutal. Like yeah. people get like eaten. <laughs> I was shocked. There was like <laughs> that Trolloc is eating someone's fucking face right yeah, now. That was probably. This doesn't have to drive anybody over to it, but just some of the flavoring that you'll get from the watch along is one of the best jokes. We see these Trollocs actually eating uh, victims. On all four is just like you know, uh, chomping into stomachs of the Amon's Field people that they've just killed. There is a time where the Amon's fielders, they all kind of take a trollic down themselves and there's like four or five, they just like fall upon it and like stab it to death with their pitchforks and stuff. You know, real like... Uh, uh, Resistance, rise up, blood of men, Ethereum Exactly. Shit. And one of you two made the joke of, ah, oh, now they're going to start eating it. And I fucking <laughs> lost my shit. Cause <laughs> I was like, eat his face now. <laughs> oh my God. Was, it, was, it was super funny. So right when you think this battle is sort of calming down, uh, Moraine has done some badass shit. Uh, they cut to Perrin, and Perrin is in his blacksmith. Also, we've lost the character of Master Lewin, Master Lewin's wife. Mm -hmm. They do not appear. They do not exist. People are going to go by the wayside. We understand that. And they've kind of been replaced with this wife that now exists for Perrin. And him and his wife are battling a couple Trollocs within this blacksmith uh, shop, or the smithy. And next thing you know, Perrin goes fucking ham on this Trolloc, murders him, and then sees a flicker of movement out of the corner of his eye, kills that too. Guess what? It's his wife. And uh, I think this is probably a pretty good time to transition into the first ever WTF Rafe segment, <laughs> uh, which I will be taking. I felt very strongly about this episode, and I just wanted to illustrate my point through this perfect example. So if you all want to join me over here at the sexy camera, camera two, Garrett, if you can give us some nice ambiance in the background while I, while I talk to Rafe here for a second. So here on Twats of Twats, we have a little segment we like to call WTF Rafe. And this is, of course, a segment dedicated speaking directly to Rafe Judkins, the showrunner of Wheel of Time. And while I do hope he listens to the full episode, as we know, he's a huge fan of the show. We're a huge fan of you too, Rafe. This is a segment dedicated to Rafe's very busy schedule, so we want to make it three to five minutes, nothing longer than that. Hey, Rafe, how you doing? I know we've had some strong opinions on the first episode of the show so far, but let me just give you an example of where my opinions come from and strong concerns, which are best represented in this episode. There's this character that is very near and dear to my heart, and that character's name is Perrin. And in episode one, we've already seen a huge departure from the source material, wherein it's revealed that Perrin is married. So Perrin has this wife, he has this completely different life, and aside from one line of dialogue letting us know the change, we get no information on her. 
We get her name, her first name. We don't know her motivations. We know nothing about her as a character. She actually doesn't even speak at all. You've invented a new character, given them absolutely zero lines here. And uh, we see her frown, then we see her sleep, then we see her dance, and then we see her die. And that's everything we get for Perrin's wife. And she dies by Perrin's own hands, no less. And yes, we get it, accidents happen, but this one didn't need to happen. Literally, she didn't need to exist. There are many terrible tropes and cliches that are seen in bad TV and bad movies, and none is worse, in my humble opinion, than fridging female characters for male motivation. And it's clear that this is meant to be motivation for Perrin's pacifist ways, which some of us actually fucking like. Which is completely unnecessary. It's possible for someone to not like fighting without a horrific, tragic backstory. And the fact that you invented a character that didn't exist in a world, as Garrett already mentioned, is very heavy with characters, just to fridge them immediately and completely change. A beloved character's motivation and backstory shows me many things, but one big thing, and that is something I said I was afraid of. You don't trust the source material. You don't think Perrin's character had the proper motivation and you had to quote unquote, fix it. You think you know better. And Rafe, I need you to listen to me here, Rafe. You don't. Perrin was fine without this. This is a wildly, unnecessary addition and deviation in a 54-minute episode that is jam-fucking-packed with wild and unnecessary additions and deviations. But none of them showed me more clearly what we're in for in this series than this one. What the fuck, Rafe? All right, coming back from what the fuck, Rafe, let's wrap up the uh, sort of recap of what we watched and we'll get into some of our additional opinions yep the battle is over rand arrives with tam we didn't even mention the fact that they had their battle which was a very abbreviated version of it moraine she somehow got skewered at one point from a thrown knife and she's still doing okay she's still on her feet she heals tam zero dialogue again there's like no relationship between rand and his father in this and then she just comes out with it she doesn't she has no subtlety here she's as subtle as a hammer to the head she just tells them all the Dark One's breaking free. The dragon has been reborn. It's one of you four, and we need to go. And then we see a massive army of Trollocs that are coming down the mountain towards the two rivers. She tells them, they're following one of you. You got to come with me. And they they exit. And that's that's the end of episode one. Right. And that's the start of the hero's journey for these four new people from Eamon's Field. Uh, we will see more of that. But, um, but ultimately, yeah, like... That was episode one's recap and our What the Fuck Rave segment. And here we are. I don't like that at all. Oh, hold on. I'm gonna probably leave that in because that was kind of funny. Okay. Uh, and we're back. I don't want to be this guy. But you know what I do want to say is, Adam, I could tell you're just not, um, th this is like your expectations were, uh, definitely crushed. Um, as far as like this being like a good show, Me I'm trying to be as positive for the show about it. I was definitely way more upset, uh, at immediately afterwards, <laughs> like just sort of processing everything I had just seen. You're, you're, you're very correct on that. So what I do want to say is, um, Myself, you know, I mentioned this in either 0 or 0 0.5, but when Game of Thrones television show was happening, I got so 
mad at what I was seeing because I did a lot of the, this isn't how it happened, this isn't what I expected. At one point I said, I'm not gonna enjoy this any longer if I continue to compare it against the books. So I eventually just said, I'm gonna stop doing that. I divorced the memory of the source materials to what I was watching. I still didn't like the show after that, but it made it a little bit better once I like let that go. I did that immediately for this. With the watch along, right off the bat, I was like, yeah, this is gonna be different than the books that I uh, love and hold so dear to my heart. Um, and I, I don't know, I feel better after after watching it that way. I still, I got a lot of chills throughout this whole thing. And that's also kind of seeing like these things come to life for the first time. I got chills that very first scene with the guy. I thought that was great. I that will say awesome. as a counterpoint there, like I also had to divorce myself from the source material with Game of Thrones, but minimally because there was such few changes made for the first several seasons it eventually did happen and that's when i i liked the show significantly less the fact that i have to do it before episode one rolls or in the middle of episode one shows me like it's a huge red flag when it's like hey uh don't think about the source material if you're watching the wheel of time show it's like then why am i watching it like i have book four waiting on a shelf over there for me to read <laughs> it's a much more effective uh use of my time to read the source material that i love than watch something where it's like this is not true to it whatsoever hey it's a show though and it's similar so maybe you'll enjoy it and then i watch and it's like as far as show goes just if i had never heard of wheel of time before and i watched this i would be like who the fuck are these characters they barely talk to each other i know nothing about them also it's like why are you falling into these tropes that are so terrible it's like the lecherous father the motivations that are coming from like being poor which didn't exist before of course fridging the female character immediately i was just blown away that it's like let's take out the subtleties and the nuance let's add in a bunch of bullshit cliches and try and appeal to a broader audience and i think it's a point that i really want to make here is that i'm very not happy with the show so far i've only watched one episode this could totally change by the end of the season but there's a lot of folks, and I immediately went to Amazon to see what the review was. The, the ratings were sitting at around a three out of five. There's been a lot of reviews that have come in. People are mostly pissed off that it's such a deviation from the source material, but there's a small minority that are upset because they don't know the source material. This is the first time they've ever experienced Wheel of Time, and they think it's too, quote unquote, woke. And I've seen that on Twitter so far. I've seen that on reviews so far. There's one review that me and Garrett saw that says, if you're into critical theories and want your worldview confirmed in a fantasy series, this is for you. Everyone else, don't waste your time. This is the worst part about this whole thing for me is that all these deviations were made to appeal to a broader audience. And the core of the Wheel of Time is strong female characters, like strong personal choices that are being made by empowered characters. And you should have already known when you were making an adaptation that people that use the word woke as an insult weren't going to like this series. There's a reason they haven't read it. It's either because it's not their type of uh, it's not their type of fiction or they can't read. Uh, and it's very frustrating to me that these changes were sort of made to appeal to this broader audience where it's like add in the sex, add in the trauma, add in the tragedy. And it's like the people who are going to watch the show because of that aren't going to like the fact that there's all these empowered female characters. And it's like, you have made this appeal to the audience that was going to hate it anyways, rather than trying to make it appeal to the folks who have read the fucking books and love the source material. And that really like, that hurt me the most to think about. <laughs> like the changes that were made were made to like, make this a standard Hollywood TV show where you just add in the typical things that people, it was made into formulaic TV to make it more familiar, to appeal to a broader audience when they didn't fucking need to do that. 
We don't know if the whole season is going to be like this. As you said, your, your opinion might flip on it at some point. It uh, might happen today. The... We have two more episodes to watch. <laughs> yeah, I know shit. We have a big weekend ahead of us here. I also wanted to throw this out there too. Anything that I watch, I always give three episodes before I really give a hard, solid opinion, unless it's like just trash, like, or like, you know, very poor taste jokes or something like that. As I've already mentioned, I feel really good about this so far in the first place. And who knows, this could like slide downhill for me too. Um, I was pumped during the casting when we were looking at IMDb and we were seeing the trailers come out. I was pumped to see such a diverse crowd in the first place and it is very female heavy. And uh, you hit the nail on the head here. Anybody that uses woke as an insult, they're just a fucking idiot in the first place. So listen, anybody who's going to be putting uh, reviews at like an hour after this show has dropped on Amazon, meaning they just watched it and say, too much diversity, hated it, unless you want to like have your liberal <laughs> kids turn gay. If they're going to put that on there, they're just never going to. I uh, can't believe this show turned me gay so fast. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> How dare like, it? If anybody's going to have the effort to do that right off the bat, they're just a, a curmudgeon in the first place. And they also, everybody, should not be listened to. Yeah, it's like I am upset. It's very obvious. I wrote three pages of anger bullet points and I went through and decided which ones are worth bringing up in the show. And I was like looking at the reviews on Amazon and even me in like my most anger filled state thought to myself, there's no way I'm writing a review on the first season of Wheel of Time when I've watched one episode and I don't know it. And I haven't even mentioned this yet. I enjoyed a lot of the acting. I really did. Like the, the relationship between Rand and Egwene, I think is pretty solid. I don't know why they're having this immediately be tragic. It's like they don't even enjoy each other's presence at all from the very beginning. <laughs> but I like the castings. I like the fact that they seem to have on-screen chemistry, which I don't think you need to have them fuck right away to, to show that. The fact that they sit together and they talk about the future is more than enough. But it's, it's something where I'm trying to look at the bright sides of this. And the fact that some people will like hear a word you know, or like see a scene and be like, I hate this entire thing. It's it's I'm trying not to be that guy. So I want to make sure that people that listen to this know that there's a very big difference between me, who is like trying to have a specific critique in my in my brain of what I'm watching versus someone that's like, oh, I heard this word. I hate this show. One star woke drivel. It's uh, like those people. That's like review bombing type of shit where it's like just delete those reviews. They're not worth even looking at. So mm-hmm. It's one thing we totally forgot about. I, Nina Eve's gone. Like, we don't know where the fuck she went. And, like, when he grabbed her and he wrote off, I was like, oh, yeah, this is way different than the books. It's like, she's gone. So, I mean, and, we've already seen in the trailer, like, a scene where she's in that, that mm-hmm. pool that she talked to Moraine in, and there's a trollic in there with her. So, I'm sure we're going to get that in season or in episode two, excuse me. So. You know what, Adam? I think I'm going to break our rule. I'm going to put a book spoiler out there. Guys, Nina Eve. She ain't dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's a book spoiler that was also spoiled by like the trailers and anyone who watched any of the promotional material like, huh, I haven't seen all of those scenes with her in it yet. So uh, I am I the after talking about it, I am more excited to watch episode two. Mm-hmm. I hope I don't experience hurt after every episode we watch, but I'm kind of prepared for it now. Yeah, I don't I mean, there's like a certain amount of positivity that I think I'm going into it and that and this is, you know, the the twinkle in my eye child on christmas morning having just that like joy seeing this that i've been excited for for 
even since it's been announced, but even since we've been reading it, you know, I, there's a lot of optimism I'm, I'm bringing into it. I hope that everybody is giving it their fair shake. <laughs> I'm laughing because I, I have to say a couple of things to wrap this up. One is that typically me and Garrett are on opposite sides of the spectrum when it comes yeah. to things. Garrett is typically a little bit more upset about things than I am, and I'm usually more positive, and it's like completely reversed for this. Yeah. I sent a text message after we got done watching this episode to a group of friends, and uh, I actually told this to, to Robin Grace, who's my co-host for Scarish. I was like, she didn't watch it with me and she's like how was it i was like you know sometimes like you go to the bathroom and you take a shit and then you kind of look at it before you flush it and you're like wow it's like perfect color perfect consistency nice big log really healthy and you're like kind of proud of yourself for making something like that like you feel like you're healthy like you're eating well and then you realize like oh i'm staring at a piece of shit like yeah it's the best looking piece of shit i could ever hope for but it's still a piece of shit like that's kind of how i felt afterwards and now hearing garrett talk about like there's this like nostalgia feeling to it you still have the positivity in you which i'm so proud of you for where it's like the kid on christmas morning it's like going downstairs and seeing a bike under the christmas tree and knowing that's for you and i think that's the moment where garrett's running over to it and i've already gotten to my bike and i've realized it's made of snakes and they're all biting me (laughs) like that's how i feel right now so maybe i'll come to love these snakes though who knows yeah i mean you know the best thing i think that we can do is just like Open arms, open hearts, eyes, eyes full, whatever the fucking, I think that's like um, varsity blues or what's that other <laughs> football one? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Who cares? So we're introduced to Pat and Fane, and he is going to be a, he should be a bigger character down the road. And this gave me chills too. When the, you know, he's just the, he's the guy sitting off on the side and you're kind of like, yeah, there he is. And then when the Trollocs come into town, he is seeing uh, chaos ensue and he kind of finishes his drink and casually walks away and I was it's like it's the same face he had wow. watching these people hours ago just yeah. hanging out is the same face he has watching them get slaughtered I was like nailed it he's yep. in the show you get to see him for kind of a minute and uh, he's a little bit scummier than he was in the books upon arrival but it's sort of the shit I could picture him doing when the focus isn't on him you know like oh I'm gonna like sell stuff and like buy stolen goods and, and stuff like that like he's the black market type of thing mm-hmm. that just rolled into town and wants to like pedal in like nefarious things and uh, I really enjoyed the fact that they did that kind of quick and that was I mean one of the things that I mentioned is that re- like uh, Matt's character is a little bit depressing so they're making a connection between him and Matt at this point and yep. uh, as, as much as I don't like what they did for Matt in that scene I do enjoy the fact that that's what they made Pat and Fane is like he is the devil on someone's shoulder in that moment and he's just this weird creepy looking fucking dude mm-hmm. unsettling and is what I've, he I is that was the unsettling. word I was using one of the other things uh, regarding Pat and Fane that, boy, when I realized that this was happening, uh, was very cool. We see a mirror draw, which is a fade. It's the eyeless. It's this thing that is like, it's it's the boogeyman when the, you think the Trollocs are bad. What's driving it is worse. Is it a you goblin? No, it's a ring wraith. Like that's yeah. what it like equates to. So we see this thing briefly on a horse walk into town and you're like, oh, what's happening? Well, what are we paying attention to here? Is a horse with a with a, with a horse skull as armor over it and you see this cloaked thing. The scoring that's happening right there has this really odd whistling to it, which immediately cuts to the next scene where we are introduced to Pat and Fane, who is whistling, bringing his card in. And I was like, what a, what a great tie-in. That's some great foreshadowing as to like what sort of uh, where Pat and Fane is going to kind of fall on the spectrum of light and dark that we'll see down the road. They did kind of like, oh, you miss it the first time? We'll put his like cheerily watching Trolloc Slaughter, which I, again, love too. But just seeing a little bit of that 
and having that like subtlety come in with a filmmaking, I think is fantastic. Needs to be more of that. I completely agree with you. Sure. One of the things that was heavy handed that I did enjoy was uh, they always talk in the books constantly about listening to the wind, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what wisdoms do. And they kind of get to show you a a quick scene of Aguine and Nina Eve listening to the wind. And I just sat there. I was like, this is pretty fucking cool. Like, I really like this interpretation of it. I never really thought of it this way because I never really thought of it. I don't think I was ever given enough when I was reading the books to really make a picture in my head of what that was. It was always just like, ooh, there's a storm coming. I hear it on the wind. This was different. Like, I really enjoyed it. They they say that they listen to the wind, but we never actually get a scene of them doing that. Or if if we do, it's it was so minor that it wasn't like worth registering. Uh, but yeah, we have Nynaeve and Aguine on a on a on a bridge, and they're listening to the wind, and us as a listener is listening to the wind, and we actually hear we hear what, what what's happening with the wind, and it and we have like whispers, um, which I kind of think is an interpretation of them hearing what's going on, and they they say that it's wrong. Because it does sound creepy, and it sounds heavy. That is that is a heavy wind scene with a lot of trees and brush moving around in it, and it's interesting to say the least. Um, and it was, you know, kind of a foretelling what was going to be happening. You know, eighteen seconds later in the in the yeah. scene, cut uh, to bell time. Yeah. All right, so uh, we are going to transition into a different segment. Uh, Adam, you want to tee this up? Yeah, sure. So uh, since we're talking about episode one and the dumpster fire that it was, uh, let's go ahead and move over to this wonderful new segment with our very own Faye Kai. Faye, take it away. Hey, guys. Welcome uh, to both of you and to our listeners to um, my segment that I'm going to title, Who's Hot on Twat? Hot on Twat. Such a good name. (laughs) (laughs) So um, in terms of what is who's hot on twat, obviously the show is full of very attractive people, but that's not exactly what this segment is going to be, or I'm just going to be talking about land for five straight minutes. Um, But what I'm trying to do here is I want to highlight some of the characters that bring the shit to an episode. (laughs) So of course it will be characters that are attractive that I find attractive, but also it will be characters that I think really drive the plot forward or have a really cool segment in this uh, specific episode. So it's like MVP mixed with MSP, like most valuable and most sexy person in one. Exactly, exactly. So without further ado, uh, for episode one, um, the person that is hot on twat this episode is Egwene. So obviously the actress Madeline Madden is uh, beautiful, but I think that specifically this character, I feel like we really saw everything through her eyes um, in episode one. So even though episode one kind of was a little bit of a dumpster fire with a smiley face, Adam, uh, I do feel like, you know, the storyline that we get from Egwene is the importance, number one, of the female characters in this in this storyline that I think is very important to Robert Jordan specifically. But also just um, we see her reactions to the things that happen in this small village um, that we don't always get uh, in, in the books, I think, because most of the time in the book we see Rand's point of view and when he walks into the village is destroyed. So I really enjoy the fact that we see the river scene where she is, in, she is you know, um, initiated into the women's circle. We see the fight scene in Eamon's field through her eyes. And then we also, of course, get that decision from her to become a wisdom. Um, So yes, that is uh, the conclusion of my episode one, Who's Hot on Twat? Egwene Alvair. Nice. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Yeah, thank you so much for that, Faye. That is our first ever Who's Hot on Twat? 
with Faye Kai. Faye is going to be a series regular. She is our third chair. Uh, Faye is a very busy human being, so she may not be here for all the episodes, but the episodes she can be here for, she will, but we will always have a segment for Who's Hot on Twat. All right. I think we've broken this down pretty well. Uh, let's let's go ahead and wrap this up. Garrett, one thing I want to ask you. We're coming up mm-hmm. on episode two. What are you hoping to see? Um, what I'm hoping to see is we have like their inciting incident already and they're being pushed forward on their journey. So I want the journey to happen. So, you know, this the stuff that we're like, we're getting like bogged down in the minutia because you and I have a lot of big feelings and a lot of a lot of knowledge of what should be happening inside this small little town and these small little scenes. This is like the first... I don't know, call it like eight chapters of the book that we are just picking the shit out of because we know so much that's supposed to be happening. Now that we're beyond that, I kind of want like a full sprint into this open area, which is the books, you know? Um, so we know that they're going to, they're essentially being chased now by, I don't know how much a quote fist of Trollocs is, but they said that there's at least 300 there. That's what uh, Lan was, Lan's uh, estimation was. I mean, I want it to be intense. I want them to be chased and run and have that exciting. And then maybe have a little bit more exposition as to what's going on. Maybe where uh, Perrin and his wife met. Maybe where Perrin and his wife, like... <laughs> Give me had, more of the wife. Come on. I want they some honeymoon? flashbacks. All you know? of it. How bad does he feel for uh, for killing her? You know? Man, that Perrin shit. That was... That fucking... That did throw me through a loop. Garrett is a positive, optimistic individual, but wow, is he not happy about that. Yeah, I'm I'm most excited here. I'm thinking, like, obviously the, the, the thumbnail of the episode shows Matt holding the golden dagger, which is very important, and uh, mm-hmm. I want them to start it out quick. They're on the run. Slow it down when they hide in Shadar Lagoth. Let yep. me be creeped out by this city, and then let shit pop off again. Because like Shadar Lagoth holds many secrets, and I want to see those play out. I'm excited to see how they play out. And I was sort of thinking about it after the first episode, like, okay, what happened in the book, and going over like their confrontations and things that happen while they're in there. And I'm like, I can see them changing this. I just want to see it look. It it needs to be fucking scary. It needs to almost be like a horror episode, and that's kind of what I'm hoping the vibe is for this one. But uh, if they're gonna skip Berlin, which I imagine they're gonna do, because that's a town that kind of is on the map, and they stop there, and it doesn't really fucking matter, and it's between one point and the other. That's cool with me. Uh, I'm not gonna bitch about it. And uh, there's a character that they meet there that they can easily move to a different town. So if they want to just make this chase, stop at Shadar Lagoth, focus on that. That's what I'm hoping to see. What else I would like to see, and this was one of my positives from the episode here, we see Nynaeve's character a little bit shaken up by Moraine's presence when she kind of confronts her in the in the pool, but she still has responsibility to her clan or tribe or village or however she kind of feels it. Same thing with Matt. Despite the fact that I really don't like what they set up with Matt's parents just both being two scummy pieces of garbage, um, he is like, he still cares for his two sisters that they have here. And despite the fact that they all hide, Trollocs are coming around, Matt opens the door and goes, fuck, I need to go out here. So it shows a sense of bravery. Nynaeve is she tackles a queen over to the side and is like get away from these things and they are confronted face on with a trolloc and it roars in their face and she and she roars, roars back. back that is such great character for actually both of them i think i feel like they they're trying to show that matt sucks but he's got a good streak inside him i think they're going way too much in the suck department yeah. i think you know? that was really really weird where they made it like oh he's super unlucky like that's just not how it works like top friend doesn't just activate Blech. randomly where he suddenly becomes lucky but i i wish they would have focused on his family's poor not his family has no love and they're unhappy and they all hate each other like he's poor 
So when he grabs a golden dagger, there is a lot of motivation to keep the fucking thing because it would tempt him probably the most. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that's just like they just they dialed it up to fucking 11 with the heavy handedness of Matt's character. Maybe they can sort of dial it back a little bit and just focus on maybe a greed aspect and not like 17 different fucking things at once. So <laughs> one other thing that I am hoping as well is, as I mentioned at the top of this one, ugh, breakneck speed. There was just scene to scene to scene to scene with exposition, exposition, exposition. It, it was it was a lot to take in, guys. And we know what we know what this source material is, as we keep on saying. So um, I really hope that anybody else that's that's watching this is just like, fuck, what's with all this information? Stick with it. I, it's going to thin out because it has to because if it's this way the whole time we're all in for a lot of pain I would say all right cool I feel good about this I feel like this episode's been therapy for me and I think that's what it's going to be most of the time I, but I hope that I have episodes where I come in and I was like best fucking episode I've seen yet I can't yeah. wait to have an episode like that so obviously we're very opinionated people we love the source material. We're hoping to love the show, too. Let us know what you thought. You can reach out to us in a bunch of different ways. And you can go ahead and move over to uh, the Wheel of Time Show, about the Wheel of Time Show .com, Or if you want to do the abbreviations, it's uh, T-W-O-T-S-A, T-W-O-T-S.com. Adam, what does that sound when you say it as a word all together? Twats a twats. Twats a twats. Also, so, if you want to make it easy on yourself, wheelofTimepodcast.com. Yeah, we own that one, too. So there's a lot of different ways to get to us. <laughs> Click on contact us. You can either email us or fill out a form that's on the website. It comes directly to us. So we would mm -hmm. love to hear from you. Uh, but yeah, it's an interactive thing. We're all hoping to love this show together. So we'll see if we can get to a point where we do. That being said, I'm ready to sign off and go on to episode two. Adam, how do you feel? Yep, let's fucking do it. I am excited. Let's jump straight into it. Listener, we love you. And Rick Deckard was 100% a replicant. Oh my God. I love you too.